0: You have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Psalm 63 is where we are this morning. We're kind of right in the middle, I believe, of our sermon series out of the book of Psalms. as we are kind of skipping our way through. Psalm 63, we're we're about halfway through there. So uh, we're looking at a life of worship in the series called Wisdom and Worship. A life of worship. Now, last week we ended um, the sermon with the idea and the thought that worship is missional. It's not just personal. And that when we worship, it, it is a glorification of God that goes out amongst the nations. And so we worship, and we do so, and it's not just a personal thing. Now, we have a tendency to think about worship as personal. And uh, we, we think about it, how it affects me, how I enjoy worship, things like that. But really, worship is not intended for us, and we, and we know this. Now, February at my house is birthday month. So my daughter is a valentine. She was born on Valentine's Day. She's my valentine. It's her birthday month, so we don't celebrate Valentine's Day. We celebrate her birthday. and um, So, or we have to celebrate both. I haven't figured that out yet. Well, well, I'm gonna try to figure it out before she moves out. So uh, Valentine's Day, birthday, my wife's birthday also follows that up. It's basically around President's Day because she is the commander in chief of our home. And so uh, she tells us what to do and uh, It's birthday month. Now, if I were to throw a birthday party, which I'm not, okay? Let's just go ahead and put it out there. If I were to throw a birthday party for these lovely women in my life, and I was to have a huge party and invite all of you there, and we sang happy birthday, and we had cake, and we, we, you know, they opened presents, and then my son were to say, Dad, what'd you think about about that birthday party? And my response was, you know, it was okay, I guess. I, I didn't get anything. anything out of it. You know, when we sang, uh, it was a little pitchy. Didn't like that. Um, Some people can't carry a tune in a bucket, son. You know, I don't know. I just don't know how I feel about it. And he would say, well, dad, that's not really what I was asking because the party was not for you, right? It's not for you. And sometimes we think worship about how it affects me. And if worship is not just A time that we sing together which we're going to talk about but if worship is our life's expression of the glory of God then it seems really silly of us to say "Well, what do you think about worship I don't know I just didn't really get anything out of it because sometimes we make life all about us when our life is all about glorifying God it is a life of worship in fact Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his writings on Psalms said this God has promised to be present in the worship of the congregation. Thus the congregation conducts its worship according to God's order. But Jesus Christ himself has offered the perfect worship by perfecting every prescribed sacrifice in his own voluntary and sinless sacrifice. Christ brought in himself the sacrifice of God for us and our sacrifice for God. That's really deep right there. That was the perfect Worship was Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, sacrificed to God for us. That was the worship that took place. So he says, for us, there remains only the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving in prayers, hymns, and in a life lived according to God's commands. So our entire life becomes worship, the offering of thanksgiving. Our entire life then becomes worship. Giving glory to God. God wants to acknowledge such thanksgiving and show his salvation to the grateful. To become thankful to God for the sake of Christ and to praise him and the congregation with heart, mouth, and hands in what the Psalms wish to teach us. So today as we worshipped and we sang, holy, holy, holy. We are singing together as a congregation, exalting who Christ is in psalms and prayers and with a life that is surrendered to him in worship. It's a beautiful picture of what worship truly is. Psalm 63, if you have your Bibles, I hope you're there. It starts with this idea of a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. It seems like he was in the wilderness last time we met. Probably last time he was, I remember we were seeing that he was in a cave running from King Saul. We don't know if he's in the wilderness in the same time frame here, but many commentaries believe that this might even be further on in his reign where he is ran out by his son Absalom, where he is fleeing from his son who is pursuing him to kill him. Second Samuel 15, 13 and 14 say it this way, And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all of his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. So he's escaping, and he's running, according to this section of Scripture. And he's being pursued by his very own son. And he finds himself in a wilderness. So over the last three weeks, we've looked at a cry of worship, a prayer by David. Number one, and the first one we saw was a cry of repentance after he had fallen with Bathsheba. It was a cry of repentance, longing for God to restore. Last week was a cry of refuge, longing for God's protection. And today we see a cry of reliance. When everything else is taken away, he acknowledges a worship, relying on God. Because he is all satisfying. As John Christendom said, It was decreed and ordained by the primitive church fathers that no day should pass without the public singing of this psalm that we're about to read. The ancient church had the practice of beginning the singing of the psalms at each Sunday service with Psalm 63, called the morning hymn. I'm not going to ask you to sing it, but I am going to ask you to read along with me. All right, Psalm 63. O God... as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is God's word. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it was penned and inspired by the Holy Spirit. That we could know what is true worship. Worship. Father, today I pray that you would prick our hearts, penetrate our lives, and lead us into a knowledge and understanding of you that would lead to a life of faith and obedience, a life of worship. Father, we thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Number one, I want you to see a life of wisdom and worship, thirst for God. So how the morning's gonna go, I'm gonna walk through this psalm, and I'm gonna give you three points with different applications. So the first point is going to have three applications. Second point has two applications. Final point has one application. That's how we're going to kind of work through this. So the first point is a life of wisdom and worship, thirst for God. You see it right there. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. We have the imagery here that David is in the wilderness and more than likely is physically thirsty longing for some water, but that longing for water reminds him of his deeper longing, his spiritual thirst for God. I long for God. I don't know about you, but I don't really think about drinking water very often unless I'm thirsty. I know there's some of you who uh, you have these giant water bottles that have all these liters in there, and you're like, I got to drink all these ounces every day, and that makes me healthy. Well, I'm not one of those people. I'm not. Now, I do like to drink water. You know, I, I feel like that's a good start, because I know that you have to have water to live. So that's a good start. So I'm, I'm not one of these people who thinks about water all the time. And I would imagine you might be the same way that you're not thinking about water until you're thirsty. Man, I sure could use some water. Man, I'm thirsty. I remember on my first trip to Mexico, it was on a mission trip here with the church. And I was in my 20s. This was just a few years ago. And um, I remember the, the only thing I knew at that time was, hey, Jeff, don't drink the water. Right? Don't drink the tap water while you're there, you know, because it could make you sick. And so I took that as don't drink water while you're there. Just while you're there, just don't drink water. Just live off anything else, really. And so I, I applied that to my life and I thought, you know, I'll just drink sodas the whole time I'm in Mexico. And one day, we were playing at the park, and we played all day long, and we played basketball, and we played soccer, and it was hot. It was the summer, and I decided, man, I am so thirsty. I'm going to drink a large Coca-Cola. And I can tell you it was wet, but it was not satisfying. In fact, Coca-Cola is a diuretic that makes you even more dehydrated. And so my body then began to crave water, longing for for thirst, of something that could satisfy. And when we think about worship, we think about all the things in this world that we think will satisfy us. We think about all the things that we're like, oh, that would taste really good right now. I think I will fill my life with that. And what happens is our lives are empty. They're dehydrated, they're weary, they're, they're fainting because we have not filled ourselves with the one thing that will satisfy, and that is Jesus Christ. So David here, he thirsts for God. He's in a barren place, as John Bloom puts it, the barren place teaches us both to want most and to seek most what we need most. In fact, if we weren't oftentimes parched spiritually, we wouldn't know how much we need and thirst for God. So a life of wisdom and worship, here's three applications for a life that thirsts for God. It does three things. It seeks, it sings, and it surrenders. It seeks. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. The seeking here is the idea that in some versions is is translated early or earnestly is translated early. So it's the morning psalm. It's It's the hymn of of singing in the morning that my soul, this, I'll wake up thirsty for you. I'll wake up longing for you because I will begin my day knowing that only you can satisfy me, God. It is the thirst that leads us to seek out water. As A.W. Tozer writes in The Pursuit of God, come near to the holy men and women of the past and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. And when they had found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long-seeking. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Oftentimes, we and our lives that should be lives of worship are so complacent that we forget that we are thirsty for God. And we're not seeking after him and seeking after him is a life of worship. In a commentary that I like, the Christ centered exposition commentary it says this Christianity is, obset- is obsession with Christ. It is a relationship with God that is like a consuming addiction. However, I fear this kind of relationship with God is foreign to many Christians today. Instead of, being, of God being a consuming addiction in our lives, we make God a convenient addition to our lives. We simply add God into all sorts of other people and things we love in our lives, family, health, work, money, success, sex, sports, exercise, food, and a host of other things. What we see here is that a life of worship is is a consuming obsession with more of Christ. That's a life of worship. But a life of complacency simply wants to add Christ to our life, not be consumed by Christ. And so this is a, idea of a life of worship is seeking after God. and This is why Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, 7 and 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. There is a continual asking, a continual seeking and a continual knocking and you see that these are not just continual but they're progressing in intensity. It's a progression in the spiritual walk of worship that man, I'm, I'm asking for God and I'm seeking after God and I'm knocking because I want the door open. I long for more of God in my life. This is a life of worship, Psalm 119 too. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Let me ask you, are you seeking? Are you asking? Are you knocking? There is this idea that we verbally ask, God, I need more of you. I'm thirsty. There's this idea that mentally we are seeking, looking for God with our minds, and then there is a physical aspect of knocking that we are doing everything we can because we want more of God in our life. This is worship, a life of worship. So verse 2, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary Beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Do You catch that? There's nothing else that can satisfy me because your presence, your steadfast love, it's better than life. It's better than living. It's better than breathing. It is, it is you that I long for. This is uh, lips that will praise him. It sings. We sang this morning, holy, holy, holy. And the reason is, is because when we get a glimpse into heaven, when we get a glimpse into eternity, we see that there is a song of praise that is sung continually, day in and day out, moment after moment, hour after hour, day after day, in all of eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so when we sing in the congregation, when, our, when we seek after him and we are filled with him, then there is a singing that takes place where we join with the angels in worship. That gets me excited. That's exciting stuff. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Worship. Worship is seeking and it's also singing. Our lips can't help but praise him because we were created to worship. We were created to praise and in all eternity we will worship God with our lips, shouting of his glory. As we get into Revelation 4 8 through 11. Who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. What a magnificent picture of worship! That worship is seeking after God and it's also singing His praises because we cannot contain it any longer because He is worthy. Worthy is Him. Charles Spurgeon gives us a warning. We ought not to make our praises of God to depend upon our own personal and present reception of benefits. This would be mere selfishness. Even publicans and sinners have good word for those whose hands are enriching them with gifts. It is the true believer only who will bless the Lord when he takes away his gifts or hides his face. It's even when we don't feel like it we worship. And as you see David in a wilderness parched in a dry and thirsty land whose lips will not cease to praise God for he is holy, holy, holy. So a life of wisdom and worship That thirst for God does three things. It seeks, it sings, and it surrenders. A life of worship is one of surrender. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. A life of worship that blesses God is a life of faithful obedience. It's a life that surrenders. Now we have this thing where we say, hey, do do you have faith? And our response will be, yeah, I believe. I'm a believer. Yeah, I believe that. Do you have faith in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, what's interesting about faith is that faith, as James is going to say, is dead without works. That there is a obedience. There is a surrender to faith that takes place. And that is how it is actually measured. And in Hebrews, when we get to this long list of the heroes of the faith, it says this in chapter 11, 6 through 8. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. So if we want a life that blesses God, it's going to be a life of faith, right? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Again, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. The the list goes on and on and on. By faith, they did this. By faith, they did this. So faith is not measured in belief, but in obedience. So if I ask you, do you have faith in Christ? The response is, then how's that faith showing itself in your surrender to him not in what you say you believe because there's a lot of people who say yeah i believe that and their lives show no obedience to the word of god so how do you worship with your life if there's no obedience you can't worship is a surrendered life of obedience so a life of worship is one that seeks god One who sings his praises with its lips, and one whose life is fully surrendered to his will. So, number two. A life of wisdom and worship is satisfied in God. It's satisfied in God. My soul will be satisfied, verse five. As with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. So a life of wisdom and worship that is satisfied in God does two things. It remembers and it reflects. The calls of action for being satisfied in God is remembering and reflecting. So if you're thirsty for God, you're going to seek after him. You're going to sing of His praises even in times when you may not feel like it because He is holy and He is worthy. And you're going to surrender to Him in faith because of obedience. That's going to be a life that is thirsting for God. But then, once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you're satisfied in Him, and a life that is satisfied in Him remembers what He has done on your behalf and reflects or meditates on that day and night. This is a life of worship. As the psalmist says in 34.8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let me ask you, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? As we've read last week in John 6, verse 51, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give For the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is the bread of life. There is no satisfaction apart from Jesus Christ. We will hunger and we will thirst and we will long to consume things in this world and that is a life of worship against the wrong things. Longing to fill ourselves with satisfaction. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I want to show you the importance of remembering. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and 7 through 20. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply. And go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jump down to verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Verse 11, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water who brought you water out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant That he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Do you see the danger of not remembering, of forgetting God? that once we've gone through the wilderness, once we've tasted and seen that things are good, and once we're living a blessed life, that we could then forget God and turn towards other idols and other things that we think could satisfy us. And so an essential part of being satisfied in God is continually remembering what he's done in your past, how he's brought you from death to life how he's walked th- through the difficult stages of your life and how you can worship him because you've been through the wilderness and you saw his sustaining power the entire time. So remember and reflect. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. This idea of meditate, reflect, is to murmur. It's to mutter it under your breath. It's to continually chew on the word of God. It's to continually think about the things, remember the things, but then mutter them, to chew on them. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like a cow and it's cud, you know? You're familiar with cud? You know what cud is, right? It's really disgusting. You don't? Okay, I'll tell you. So what cud is, cud is regurgitated food back up into the mouth of the cow so we can chew on it just a little bit longer. Yeah, no, I thought you'd be like, ooh, no, you didn't. Okay, so this is the idea that when you taste and see that the Lord is good, he is so rich and so delicious that you're, you're like, I need to chew on it again. So I just need, I need to remember, I need to reflect on it. I'm going to bring it back up in my life, and I know this is a poor illustration for some of you. But I, I want to digest the Lord, and I'm going to chew on him again and again and again. Okay, let me do another one. Okay, you ever get a song stuck in your mind? That's a better one. Youth, you know, you ever get a song stuck in your mind, and all day long you're singing it under your breath, and like, and then eventually, as the day goes on, you're like, I can't get the song out of my head. This is the way it is with the Lord. I can't get God out of my head. I just, I'm just muttering Him day in and day out, morning and night. I'm continually reflecting on God and His goodness. This is a life of worship. A life of worship seeks God, sings his praise, surrenders its life, remembers what he has done, and reflects on him day and night, meditating on his goodness, meditating on his word. This is why Joshua 1.8 would say, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then... You will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. It's so easy for us when we're not in the wilderness to forget. It's so easy for us when we're not thirsty because life is good to not seek after God. But a life of wisdom and worship thirst for God and is satisfied in him only. And that is a life that worships. Last thing, a life of wisdom and worship clings to God. It clings to God. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Clings. So just to recap, a life of wisdom and worship that thirsts for God does three things. It seeks, it sings, and it surrenders. A life of wisdom and worship that is satisfied in God does two things. It remembers and it reflects. And finally, a life of wisdom and worship that clings to God does one thing. Cleaves to Christ cleaves. It's this idea. The word clings here in the Hebrew is so rich it's translated as a loyalty related to affection. It is the idea of to leave and cleave in a relationship. So if you have sought after God, if you are thirsty for the Lord, if you have tasted and seen that He is good and you remember what He has done and you reflect on His Word, then there is nothing you want to do but to cling to Him and not lose that. I don't want to lose that. Long for Him. This is the life of worship. The Hebrew word here is rich in meaning. It means to cling to, to adhere, to catch by pursuit or seeking, and to follow close. And in order to do this, There must be a separation of something else to cling to Christ. It is to leave and to cleave is a life of worship. That's why Jesus would tell his disciples in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? To leave and cleave, to deny self and to follow him. This is a life of worship. A life of worship clings to God. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. The power of Christ's right hand, his work on our behalf, holds us. We cling to him. It's the same word, you might have picked up on this, that comes out of Genesis 2, 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This this is beautiful. What a a beautiful picture it is of a life of worship. That once once you've been united with Christ in a covenant marriage relationship, that he is the groom and we are the bride, once you understand the intimacy of this relationship, you cling to him in covenant relationship. You're not going to let go. I'm in a covenant. I'm in a relationship. I've made a commitment that all of my life will be lived in this affectionate relationship. That's a life of worship. This is the idea that if you have sought the Lord, if you have tasted and seen that he is good, then you will do everything in your ability to stay as close as possible to him. This is a call to leave this world and cleave to Christ. As we look at a few scriptures here, I want want you to see the importance of seeing your relationship with Christ as that of a marriage, a biblical marriage relationship. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish he upholds us with his right hand he has made us clean he has washed us in his blood and we are his bride and one day we will join him for the marriage supper of the lamb we will swear and we will exalt we will make a covenant relationship and we will worship let us rejoice Revelation nineteen seven through 9 and exalt and give him glory For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Let me ask you this morning, are you invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Have you decided at some point in your life to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him? Has there come a point in your life where you have left the world and you've cleaved to Christ? I want to be in a relationship with him, an affectionate, covenantal marriage relationship that will not be broken, and one day we will celebrate together. If that's you, then your life is a life of worship. Your life is one that points to the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, we were going to end service with partaking of the Lord's Supper. What a beautiful picture of that covenant. That covenant relationship that we have. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-three through 29, if you don't have the ordinances and you want to partake today, if you'll just slip up your hand, I have a deacon in the back that would love to give that to you. Let me read these verses. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. As we enter in a time of examination, this is a time to really examine, has there been a time in my life where I have denied myself and I have taken up the cross and followed Jesus? Has there been a time in my life where I have surrendered my life to him in belief and in faith? If that's you, then I invite you to take a moment before we partake in this together and see God. Let your lips sing and declare his praise. Allow your heart and life to surrender in obedience to his will. Then remember his sacrifice that bought you freedom. Reflect on his word and leave the sins of this world and cleave to Christ. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes, and will you examine yourself in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we bow before you. You are holy, holy, holy. And we desire to worship with thanksgiving and songs of praise and a life that is surrendered to you. And so right now, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to partake of the Lord's Supper that reminds us of the sacrifice that you made on our behalf so that one day we can sit with you in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Lord, we ask for forgiveness of the sins that we allow into our lives. We ask that you would lead us into an intimate affectionate relationship with you that all of our life would be one of worship. In Christ's name, amen. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Will you take the bread and will you eat? In the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Will you now take the cup and will you drink? As the worship team comes up to lead us in a final song, we're going to turn our eyes to Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that we remember today and we reflect on. And so let's turn our eyes towards him. Let's pray. Father, again, we turn our eyes to you and your son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that was made on our behalf so that we could have life and have it everlasting. May our lives worship you. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you sing?